Hello and welcome to Autonomous Cars with Mark Hogue, the number one result on Google for Autonomous Cars podcasts. I'm Mark Hogue, a California licensed attorney, a 2X startup founder, a UCLA Bruin with a background in engineering and an economics degree, and twice a week we'll be discussing the products, tech, law, policy, and societal impacts of autonomous cars as they bring about the greatest step change in humanity since the Industrial Revolution. Hello, good morning, and welcome. It's Friday, the 17th of May, 2019, and this is episode 107, the season three finale. So let me just cut right to the chase. I did it. I managed to salvage the recording. If you remember, there was a very real concern that this episode may never see the light of day due to some really massive technical issues, but I've spent the past week painstakingly cutting, editing, splicing, and effectively reconstructing a veritable jigsaw puzzle of 12 audio clips none of which even had the timestamps, mind you, which of course further compounded the difficulty of all this. But um, yeah, to walk away with a 45-minute final cut, I will very graciously take that. Um, so yeah, it's three former guests, Justin Shore, Martin Adler, and Henning Latkin. They're coming at us from Philadelphia, uh, the Netherlands, and Germany. So yeah, we're spanning nine time zones. And as we joke, this may be the first time ever that three PhDs and a lawyer got together in a room, virtual or otherwise, to discuss for nearly an hour everything there is about autonomous vehicles. I think you're really going to love this. Um, real quick before diving in, just a reminder that I am doing my big move to Washington, D.C. on Monday. I'll be there for a month and very much looking forward to meeting up with as many of you as possible and really excited that I've locked in so many meetings already. Um, real quick, a shout out and huge thank you if you're listening to David Guyen. Uh, for inviting me to your monthly Connected Car Talk happy hour. That's going to be on Tuesday, the 21st of May. So if any of you listening are going to be there, please be sure to walk over and say hello. I look forward to meeting you. All right, well, look, why don't we dive in and get started? Episode 107, the season three finale with Justin Shore, Martin Adler, and Henning Latkin begins now. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Good of you guys to join me. I feel like there should be some sort of a joke for three PhDs and a lawyer in one room together, virtual or otherwise. But uh, I, I think way too much money spent on education. <laughs> I mean, I think we might be making history here, right? Three PhDs on one podcast for one hour on autonomous cars. I think this is this may actually be history in the making. Um, so thank you all for joining. Let's see, just a quick uh, rundown on who's who and what in the space of autonomous cars. Um, so all three of you obviously have been on the show, uh, Henning most recently, uh, you know, very recently, uh, just a week ago. Um, let's see. So Martin Adler uh, coming at us from Netherlands. Uh, 
his your, your focus obviously in the field of sort of socioeconomics and uh, the deployment of autonomous vehicles, mobility, all that sort of thing, and how it's all going to play out. Uh, heading, uh, of course, you're doing your startup Atletech, which is doing um, 3D mapping for autonomous driving and simulation, crucially without LIDAR, just computer vision. And of course, Justin, you're coming at us from, oh, sorry, Henning, you're you're in uh, Germany now, in Karlsruhe, yeah? And yep. Justin, you're coming at us from Philly. Um, you do collision reconstruction. Not nearly as exciting as all these other locations. <laughs> so, so, so effectively, though, what we've done is we're sort of crossing all these time zones, uh, and it's 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 pretty awesome. So, let's. Um, I guess we'll just dive in. I mean, we we we've talked about doing this together for quite some time now. Um, and I think the inspiration to finally make it happen was Tesla Autonomy Day uh, a few weeks ago. Obviously, lots of just huge bomb cells dropped during that presentation. Let's just open it up to any one of you, whoever wants to dive in. What's the general thoughts? You know, obviously, I'm sure you've seen, for example, since then, Tesla stock is certainly tanking. What's the big takeaway with respect to no LiDAR, no mapping, rolling out the Tesla fleet in 2000 or in uh, 2020? I was looking earlier today at there's a, a website that has a timeline of Elon Musk predictions uh, just to see, you know, what the first prediction he was uh, he made with regards to full autonomy. And in December of 2015, he said he reduced his prediction from three years to two years from that point. So I, I take his predictions with a grain of salt. Well, yeah, I guess we need a whole bucket of salt with all of his predictions generally. Um, but he does eventually deliver. And I think the the idea that he's sketching out is pretty bold, of course. But uh, if that all would happen eventually, that would be pretty amazing, right? So, I mean, as a vision and as a point on the horizon to work towards, I think it would work. Time, I mean, timeline uh, may be a bit uh, optimistic, but um, it sounds pretty tempting. I, I I mean, I find it a really good start into the discussion, the autonomous day. And I mean, I agree that he's a visionary and uh, practically it's always hard to criticize him because of the visions he've already brought to fruition, which other, without him would have been very difficult to achieve. But then at the same time, him lately, especially doing things which are, are very questionable. And I, I mean, the autonomous day that, that for me, like, for me, it felt a little bit like it was trying to mask over the Security and Exchange Commission verdict on the on the next the following day, and that's of course that's of course not not something you would want to have as a company. But like maybe let's go back to to the autonomous day, and uh, I, I'm just really unclear from the European position. It's really unclear what's happening and what's the importance. So maybe you guys can can fill me in on that. Well, just just real quick, one of you had reached out to me and made a. You mentioned that indeed, following Tesla Autonomy Day, the only thing that you heard about in Europe was actually the issue with the SEC, and really not much at all about Tesla Autonomy Day. Um, yeah, I would I would agree. I mean, of course, um, nowadays it's I mean on social media and on the news sites you you get you get to see what has happened there, but uh, I would agree, yes. Yeah, basically, you know, his big takeaways in no particular order were that LIDAR is simply not necessary. It's a fool's errand, uh, that we don't need mapping, we don't need simulations, that the Tesla network is going to roll out in 2020. And um, 
and of course the the news about the incredible advancements to autopilot's power something like a 21x improvement um you know let me just let me just i guess dive into this like this you know i've seen i've heard a lot of misquoted content from that day right so one of the issues was um his claim that we don't you know that that lidar is not necessary because it's the same thing as computer vision and somebody misquoted him suggesting that well that just means it's operating the same wavelength and of course that's stupid i think what he meant was that they're redundant in the sense they're both lines of sight technology similarly with mapping you know he was referring static maps he never really addressed the issue of dynamic updated real-time maps and with simulation i don't think his claim was that we don't need simulation or that it has zero utilitarian value but rather that eventually the end game is we shouldn't need simulation um what do you guys think about any one or all of those yeah, maybe we can we can start a bit with the lidar thing. Um, at least it seems to me that this is the one that has been uh, uh, discussed most. But uh, I may be wrong here, of course. But at least to me, this uh, seems to be like a really big uh, claim here. And we don't use lidar at Atlatech, but we did look at what they are capable of doing, and um, I think they have a range issue at the moment, lidar. So. Um, I'm not sure if all the sensors that can be uh, used nowadays in, 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 in the LiDAR space actually um, stand up to their specs. Um, and uh, given given this background, uh, then it may be true that a, a, a vision system can replace a, a lot of the capabilities of a LiDAR. So I, I could imagine that, that there's some truth in this. I, I, my issue, I, I, honestly, my takeaway w- was a little bit different, and, and that's where I was kind of lying back. But, but you know, coming from my background, I thought that the most interesting takeaway was Elon Musk's assertion that Tesla will be liable for collisions involving their vehicles when they are running around in autonomous mode without a human operator inside. I mean, what's the alternative? Doesn't it need to be that way? I mean, for me personally, there's probably no other alternative, but like, uh, for me, this autonomous day debate is very, very hard to, to judge. That's why I wanted to hear the engineers among you speak before me. So how valid is such a claim? I mean, he didn't put this on paper and, and sign it, uh, so to say. He just said it. I mean, is this already enough to... What are the implications from a liability perspective of that assertion with regards to the vehicles that are on the road today? I mean, how much does it mean if Elon Musk says these things? Is this... So if, you're, if you have, if you have a, a product that you're calling autopilot, that you have multiple times referred to as a self-driving system, uh, regardless of, of any qualifiers that you put in there, if you're going to be marketing a system as such and telling people that their vehicles now have full self-driving capability, well, what are the implications for what that that impression is going to leave on people, how they're going to operate their vehicles in the wake of, of that statement? And then if you're going to accept liability for all the crashes that occur while the vehicles are running around without a human, what why would you not be accepting liability for crashes that occur while a human is sitting in the vehicle? Well, well, first of all, isn't this remarkably similar to what Volvo announced a few years ago with their Vision 2020 claim, something about how no human will be seriously hurt or killed in a Volvo? And in any event, if anything does go wrong, then Volvo will accept all liability. 
So the difference is that Tesla current Volvo didn't have uh, vehicles, you know, with with this ridiculous functionality in them when they're making this statement. So that exact functionality is not in the vehicle. Tesla is claiming that this functionality is currently in their vehicle. Whether or not it's activated or or whatever, there's the the, the exact quote was that all the vehicles have this full autopilot in them right now. So if you're going to say that and then you're going to accept responsibility for collisions, well, I think that has implications for the vehicles that, that are currently in use. So as we continue to see these Tesla crashes occur, I think that from a liability perspective, that, that he, he did a, a grave dis, disservice to, to you know, his, his own company there in, in making that assertion. You know, guys, sorry, maybe I'm missing something. You're suggesting that because the technology is in the vehicles now, the autopilot hardware is in the vehicles now, and if they've announced they're going to accept all liability, then your concern is that it's going to apply potentially even in situations where autopilot's not even being used, but simply because it's in the vehicle being operated by a human? I think this is what he meant. So if he says that in safe driving, they take liability and it has all the capabilities already today, then I, I, I believe that uh, that it leads to the conclusion that you can already be liable for any crash uh, today because it could be avoided um, for, as a conclusion from that statement. Is, is that how you meant this, uh, Justin? So so I, I think that um, Henning put out perfectly, that, but it's twofold. The first issue is one, if this technology exists and is in the vehicle, why is it not active if you're claiming that it is better than a human driver? And two, if somebody is using autopilot uh, currently where, you know, we know that you still have to be uh, uh, the administer of the roadway and paying attention at all times. Well, if that person is using autopilot as it exists now and is involved in a crash, why is Tesla not accepting liability so, for that? So I, I think I think perhaps this could be sort of his way of making a segue into the promise of Tesla insurance, right? I mean, he's going to basically control the entire end-to-end solution of like everything. So, you know, if if they're providing insurance and if they're making this claim mm-hmm. that they're going to be liable for everything that breaks, presumably though, if and only if things go wrong while under the control of autopilot specifically, which they will know, of course, then I guess that's kind of where they're coming at this from. Um, I, I agree with you. And, and certainly... It make, mm. No, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that he's trying to set himself up somehow, some way, where this is actually a, a pathway to avoid liability in these crashes, um, you know, kind of by, by setting some overarching uh, precedent or, or something along those lines when, when some of these crashes start to occur or continue to... Well, occur. let's do this then. Let's, let's transition away from the liability issues to, I guess, the technology itself and how it's going to affect deployment. I mean, so I think all of you, we've all discussed this in the past, or you've certainly heard me say it, that I don't really understand why there's this big push to deploying level five right away. Let's just get really nicely geofenced level four vehicles on the roads. Um, what do you guys think about that? Like, why is there this big push towards level five? And so, uh, and Martin and Justin, what do you guys think about this level four v- uh, versus level five? Why not start geofenced and then grow the area in which all this operates already nicely and and take it step by step so i also agree that this is a way to go what do you guys think is it just marketing is it just showing off i i I believe so i i mean there's no reason that you shouldn't just begin with the level four geofence in you know specific areas i i i can full heartedly agree and i also believe that 
that especially when you're thinking about autonomous vehicles used for, for truck platooning or something like that, like between warehouses, then even a really, really limited area of geofencing could be used at first, which would dramatically simplify the technological requirements going on interstates or going yeah, on highways. Agree. And, even, mm-hmm. and, um, and I agree. And I think that, you know, you, you have some applications in, in elderly communities, in the, in like, um, uh, resort communities where it's a enclosed area, but I think the industrial applications are the first place that that we should be looking. And then as we expand from there, there there seems to be no real need for a level five vehicle to me. Well, that's an interesting point. Yeah, maybe there's just not a need for it yet. That, that's really interesting. I mean, the only immediate use case I see is still this idea of you know for, for especially those people who can't buy uh, say a Tesla right now or, or any other such car. It'd be pretty cool if you could summon a Tesla autonomously just to pick you up. That, that would be pretty great, especially since it promises such a huge reduction in price per mile. Right. Mm-hmm. So there is that, um, to the point of geofence in certain communities. Yeah. So I wonder if you guys have heard about the large, the largest retirement community in the world, uh, in Florida. Right. And so I guess Ford's Argo AI is testing down there and, um, you know, that, that, that is a perfect use case, right? So, for all intents and purposes, they're regular city streets, albeit perfectly manicured ones. Um, you know, obviously not very much traffic, but it's a great it's a great use case. This place is huge, and you've got a bunch of level four vehicles, which they are. They're geofenced, and they've got a backup driver, and they're driving around. You know, I mean, it's perfect. Yeah, and I think driving speed is fairly low uh, anyway, even for a, a non autonomous, non self driving car, and that also makes it slightly easier, right? I mean. Um... You don't have to have that far uh, perception distance and uh, um, you have more computing time per travel distance, uh, if you want to put it in this way. So driving slowly, it's easier than driving uh, slightly faster. So I think that makes sense. It's a good use case to start with. You also have the advantage of the pedestrians being a little bit slower in that community likely as well. (laughs) (laughs) That was price. Uh, Yeah. Well, so look, actually, that's kind of a good segue then to this question, I guess I I have is um, another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You know, there's, there's so much discussion about the technical issues surrounding autonomous vehicles, as of course there should be. Um, I think there's not enough discussion over something which may even be a bigger problem, society, right? So so I'm a huge fan. I think we all are a huge fan. We've got a lot of faith in technology generally. Technology seems to find a way. We do tend to figure things out, right? For me, the bigger challenge is, and it might sound trivial, but I think it's very real, is indeed the societal acceptance of these things. I mean, even here in the tech epicenter of the universe, I mean, it's astonishing how many folks are still really opposed to it. That said, people here are opposed to 5G. They're opposed to vaccinations. They're opposed to everything. I realize it's a weird sort of irony. I'm exaggerating, of course, to make a point. But in the to the bigger scope of the world as a whole, yeah, I think that's a really big societal issue. I mean, Martin, you do a lot of work on 
uh, what socioeconomics, I guess, is the pre precise term. Like, do you have a particular view on this? No, I, I fully agree with you there, Mark. Um, the, the socioeconomics of the autonomous vehicle evolution are, com are like much less discussed. It's always like the focus on the benefits and much less on the downsides, potential downsides they could have. And um, because those potential downsides are just practically adjacent to, to the actual deployment of the, the car or the technological aspect itself. And what most people overlook is that once you employ a technology and you go it, let it go completely without regulation, it usually starts affecting human lives in terms of like how we live and how we travel. And like, I mean, a couple of aspects are really, really like, you know, popping out there is one, like the distance of how far we think it's, uh, it's okay to commute, you know, like, I mean, nowadays people are already in the, the LA, for example, are like commuting maybe an hour, an hour and 15 minutes on, on average will it be okay to commute even two hours. And, and what does that mean for our private lives? And then the next thing would be like, how do we uh, imagine our urban urban spaces to be? And I think that from the U.S. perspective, which you have like large interstates going through urban areas, I mean, do you practically will probably see traffic even increase to the current current state. And like I read a study lately, which was saying that practically even just ride hailing, the low prices of ride hailing, had dramatically increased congestion and. Uh, all the other negative effects of traffic uh, in, over the past, like let's say, six years. So, if cars are are cheaper, autonomous vehicles are cheaper, then then we can expect this to, to increase. And then, like maybe that connects back to the autonomous to autonomous day. Like let's say, I think that the, the weirdest message which Tesla is sending there, like it sounds like a little bit like you know, like a god of technology. And I think one should be very, very wary if, of 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 raising such a such a concept, but I'm happy to hear what you guys think. Did you say a god of technology? Yeah, because if you like make autonomous day, it like it's it's like you you you're practically raising technology to be something which is celebrated, right? By itself without any questioning. I think that this is I, I agree with Martin. I think it's becoming very existential in terms of automation. Um th there's even an entire religion that is dedicated to AI. Are you talking about the church that was launched by Anthony Lewandowski? Uh, yes, I believe so. Did they really call it church? So, yeah, so so he started a church uh, towards, I, I don't know how far along it is, but the idea being that, look, if AI is going to, if obviously AI is going to be much more intelligent than humans, then we frankly better get on its good side. And so why not make a church to essentially worship AI? Yeah, that's that's crazy. I mean, these things seem silly when you first hear about them, but but as as Martin aptly pointed out, with with having a Tesla Autonomy Day, you, you as it becomes more and more part of of what we do every day, I think that that you run the risk of of it becoming something that that is much larger than life. Um, there, there, the other thing that I was thinking about while while you were talking about the potential drawbacks is the, the potential consolidation of wealth outside of urban areas because of the, uh, the, you know, the commute factor. that You, oh, you mean it allows people to live outside the cities again. Right. And I think that that, that has dangerous implications as well. Yes, and with this whole um, f focus on autonomous driving, um, at least I didn't hear anybody question whether this will ever 
really safely and truly work. And I mean, is this kind of decided already that this will eventually uh, work out? Let's say, let's say, have a driverless car that that can really deploy that scale. I mean, for me, I don't see proof that this will actually happen in the next 10, 10 years or so. And um, what do you guys think about this? So, could it be so that it will just take much, much, much longer for have to, you know to have these autonomous cars uh, at scale um, than we think today? I'll just toss in just a quick thought. I mean, I think if we use the pretty conservative math with respect to vehicle replacement rates around the world, yeah, look, I think we're looking at least 100 years before the vast majority, close to all vehicles, are at least mostly autonomous, so level four and above. Mm -hmm. But I think insofar as localized deployment for at least level four vehicles, I think that's potentially within five-ish years for level four in certain areas. I, I do agree. And I've said for a long, I think everyone has said for a long time, that level five is definitely at least, at least 10, 15, even 20 years out. Um, but, but I, I think that, yes, there is an assumption, at least in my mind, that it will eventually happen. It must eventually happen as surely as it must have been the case that we developed electricity, that we developed, uh, you know, air aviation. Uh, I just think it's a foregone conclusion. And, if only because the idea of not having autonomous vehicles that we still drive these things around just doesn't make any sense. That reality doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think, Mark, you, I mean, you refer to this as the, the greatest step change in humanity. And I, I, I agree with you that, that full implementation would indeed be the greatest step change in humanity. But my, I, I go back to, to the question that Martin just asked and the one that I asked you when we did our first episode together is that who decided that these vehicles were going to have any of these potential benefits? Who decided they were safer? Who decided they were more efficient? These things are things that cannot be tested in any sort of, you know, incredibly reliable way at this point. Well, just to be clear, I don't think anybody assumes they're going to be more efficient on their own without something further. And that's something further, of course, to, at least with respect to the issue of increased traffic is the unfortunately really uh, boring concept of, you know, uh, di financial disincentives to have empty cars buzzing about. Um, but again, as I think I mentioned in, in like the last episode or two episodes back, I mean, we have precedent for this carpool lanes on freeways, you penalize people who don't have passengers on freeways in carpools, in carpool lanes. I think it's the same idea here. So what would need to happen um, to uh, reduce traffic once we have self-driving cars? Because in any scenario, I can only see how that goes up. And we kind of touched the subject uh, a bit earlier already, uh, like longer uh, commutes to, to work and a few more aspects maybe like sending a car a long distance to find a parking space autonomously because you don't have to drive there and things like that. So, I mean, what else needs to happen in order to, to you know, um, not let let traffic increase exponentially with, with self-driving cars? Well, I mean, as I've said, it, it's sort of, it's sort of the, uh, it's sort of an analogy to adding lanes to a freeway, right? It's basically virtual lanes on a freeway. It's the same impact, right? You can you add a bunch of lanes to a freeway. Maybe you enjoy increased traffic flow for like a couple hours and then everybody says, oh, look, there's more lanes, so more people, right? So it's a never ending problem. That's true. But again, that's where the mm -hmm. need, I think, for essentially uh, carpool type of penalties and or just to borrow an idea from toll roads. I mean, actually, so Martin, you and Henning being in Europe, I mean, I've driven enough around Europe to know that 
man, driving from one side of Europe to the other, even within the same country, say in France, for instance, which I've done with my wife, it is significantly more expensive to drive, even excluding the cost of the rental car, than to fly or take a train, because the tolls are just punitively expensive. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, a large number of, or like some European countries use those tolls to finance their their infrastructure. I guess that's also done in... Like- oh, I know. And the infrastructure is amazing. Yeah, it's great. Can we go really fast? But um, I think we're going to see this more and more happening in the future. Like this is at least my prediction that we're going to see places making it more expensive to use cars. And especially maybe it's going to be mostly around urban centers, which want to reduce traffic. So, for example, Amsterdam, the city where I'm based, they announced in the last month two things. They announced that they would get uh, successively rid of all downtown parking. Yep. Until twenty, like a little bit into the mid twenty twenties, and and at a pace of about one and a half thousand car parking spots in like, uh, forever whoever doesn't know Amsterdam, there is car parking is already very scarce. Yep. And uh, they waited a couple of weeks, and then they announced um, that they were also going to phase out any traffic which is uh, burning uh, combustibles. Yep. And actually, at a really high pace, also in a matter of ten years. And I, I think, like, if this is if, if they're practically keeping their speed up, then uh, and you can see where this is going. They're practically going to reduce like private transportation substantially in the inner city, and then maybe it's just going to be eventually that you have a, a car rental place, an autonomous vehicle car rental place, which can take you to another city or through the to, like, I don't know a, a rural center, let's say a village thirty kilometers out. If you want to go sailing, for example, maybe you can just hop in an autonomous vehicle and drive you there. But like all the distance you need to cover in town are probably going to be not always by car. So I, I have the feeling there is like multiple ways this can go, and it depends a little bit on where you are. You know, if you're in a like if you're in a place where infrastructure is is not sparse and you can easily increase the number of vehicles, then probably those kind of communities are going to go into all-out vehicle automation, and it's going to be like crazy. But then there's going to be other communities over which you really restrict this. And I think this is also the difference here with Europe that you have a lot of towns which have adopted like visions for the next 10 to 15 years. And they're usually really focused on smart and sustainability, sustainable uh, mobility concepts. And you very, very rarely nowadays read something about vehicle automation, you know, in their, in their visions. You know, I wonder though, isn't there some sort of, don't you think cities are going to have a disincentive to reduce cars only from the point of view that they make them, they make a ton of money off obviously parking spots, or at least here in San Francisco, I should say, they make a ton of money rather infamously and accurately from parking citations. It's, it's notoriously, uh, it's notorious for just, you know, if you park in San Francisco, you will get a parking ticket. (laughs) That's just the way it is. So isn't there potentially an argument, a frightening argument to be made that there's a disincentive for cities to get rid of cars by that metric anyway? It's a big source of revenue. Well, I think that the city still owns the infrastructure and still need, and people still need to, to maneuver around the city. So I think that the cities could probably make that up through some sort of, of pricing scheme. I don't think that, that they're just, you know, that, that cities are just going to allow autonomous vehicles to be driving around constantly. The deterioration on the roadways in itself is going to be increased with, with you know, if, if vehicles do indeed not have to park it and are driving constantly. Um, okay. So that goes back to the penalizing bit. You just don't let them do that. You penalize them if they drive around empty. Well, I think, I think that it's not that you're going to penalize them if they drive around empty. I think that you're just going to tax them if they drive. 
So I think that you own the infrastructure. You're going to, you're going to charge people to use that infrastructure. I think that you can make up some of, some of that lost cost. Okay. But fair enough. But even, even if you tax them simply for driving, so you're suggesting a tax based on mile driven and that's fine, but, but you would still, I think need some sort of a financial disincentive to allowing them to drive empty because on the one hand you might reduce driving generally to the benefit of the physical road infrastructure but it wouldn't necessarily help alleviate the issue of traffic congestion, right? You would you would need both, I think. Yes, and here um, another question that comes to my mind is that um, many cities here in Europe and, and US too, I guess, have invested heavily over the past year in their public transport system and mass transit. And I don't know how they feel about letting that, you know, uh, go unused if if we have self-driving cars uh, at scale. And uh, I think, my, yeah, my feeling is that cities like what they have built here or what they are in the process of building and they spent really billions on, on, on putting this all up and maybe not everybody is happy in, in, in seeing that, you know, being unused in the future. That's a really interesting point. My assumption in the past has been that we'll eventually just see cities embrace autonomous cars as sort of the next generation of public transit. I mean, we went from overground trains to underground trains to, I don't know, high speed or monorail type trains. And now we're going to have these individual little shuttle pods driving around. And it seems to me that from a consumer point of view, that's kind of the perfect hybrid solution, right? I mean, I'm sure I speak for many people when I say that it's not always the most pleasant experience to get on a crowded train. But if you can get into like a little pod car, isn't that kind of a great win for everybody? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, from a consumer perspective, for sure. I mean, that's way better than uh, being on these these trains at rush hour. I agree. I mean, from a consumer's perspective, but if, if you know, if do you think that that there's going to be any sort of private vehicle ownership under under an autonomous future? I mean, yeah, I, I get you're right. Of course, an autonomous future kind of presupposes, or at least requires, a shared future. That's true, but I think there will always be a use case where, sort of like today, right? If you're willing to pay a little bit more money, you get your own Uber. If you pay a little bit less money, you you share an Uber, right? I think it'll probably be something like that. My question is: Is that going to be permitted? Are you going to be allowed to? You know, is that going to be legal to own your own vehicle under that scenario? I don't. I don't see why it would be legal to have your own vehicle. That's a good point. It probably will be legal. I mean, from an economist point of view, I'm really against like forbidding anything. Practically, you just make it have a price where everybody would think three times to, to ever choose that option. You know, you would see people with private cars and you would be like, ha like, my God, you're financing the state <laughs> yourself, my friend. Like, if the price is correct, then uh, people will make the right decisions. And if, if people really, if you live in a rural area and you, it's, you have very long waiting times on your Uber to arrive because it, it might be a distance off, then I guess there would be for certain individuals uh, the incentive to, to own such a car. 
Well, that's a good point. I mean, isn't that what they've done in Singapore forever, right? Like, isn't it like $100,000 or more, $100,000 US dollars or more just to own a Honda Civic or something? Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's, that's very likely true. And um, I mean, the question is, do we, do, we allow, do we allow people to send their children to school in a car which they're not joining the ride? And probably should allow all of those concepts. It's just about like implementing it so, so the car doesn't, doesn't retain the, the ne- negative aspects it has currently on our, on our urban environments. True. The, the the kids question I think is a very interesting one. Yeah. Can you do that with a level four? Can you send your kids in a level four car without problems? That's a very interesting question. I mean, I suppose as long as there is indeed a an adult backup driver, I suppose. I mean, un, you know, currently, uh, who knows? But I, I don't see why that would be something that would not be allowed. Isn't that one of the main goals to provide mobility to the transportation disadvantage? Well, that and the fact that it's presumably safer than the alternative. I mean, and this kind of goes back to my question earlier, which is why I think it's such a big social question. And I mean social in the broadest sense of the word. I mean, I made a joke a while back that, um, you know, uh, if you look through the history, if you look through history of all the major social shifts in the world, um, as funny as it sounds, I mean, a lot of it was pushed by, well, the film industry, whether Hollywood or elsewhere besides. Um, and so I made a joke. I said, hey, you know, electric cars are going to really pick up once James Bond's next car is electric. And guess what? It was recently announced that his next car is going to be electric. And how much do you want to bet that his electric car is going to have some version of enhanced summon? I mean, heck, he basically had exactly that, what, 10, 15 years ago. I think it was in GoldenEye. He had like a enhanced summon BMW 7 series, right? Uh, and here we are now, 15 years late. But hey. Um, so, so yeah, I just think that like if you look at the shift and so far as like, I don't know, even just smoking – as a pop culture thing, I mean, Hollywood really started to phase it out. Yes, I get it. I think it had to do with advertising getting prohibitively expensive and blah, blah, blah. Fine. But at the end of the day, you have social movements that are pushed forward by, well, pop culture media. I mean, if it works. I, I fully agree. And you you can already see what's happening now with uh, also the movements towards sustainability. I, I believe we're now seeing that shift towards, I mean, you're starting to have a much bigger fleet in electric vehicles, but you're also seeing a much broader consensus towards doing something about uh, about CO2 levels in the atmosphere. And, and this fits, I think, exactly into this autonomous vehicle debate as well, because it, it's, I believe, all four of us think that uh, autonomous vehicles will be, will be electric or almost exclusively electric. I mean, do you, any of you disagree with that or you all think that it's the most likely future? I think that if you could control the the accelerator or the input, you know, consistently with a with a combustion engine, I think that that it would be possible that that, that would be the future, depending on on what happens with the disposal of lithium ion batteries and the continued mining of the of the graphite um, and the uh, the lithium for it. But you know, as we sit here now, I, I don't see any other way besides electric that you could control a vehicle. Um, accurately enough for for uh, a safe operation. That's a good point, and I think to, to the previous point. I mean, indeed, we are at a we are reaching a level now where you're right. It's sort of a it's sort of like well, to make a really weird analogy, it's kind of like skiing, where if you don't wear a helmet these days, people look at you and they say like, "What's the matter with you? You're an idiot." Sort of like uh, you know, it used to be the case that it was 
cool not to wear a helmet and now you're an idiot if you don't wear a helmet i know it's a weird analogy but the point that i'm making is is yeah i think if you're a car company and you're developing autonomous cars then it must be the case that you're developing electric cars it just wouldn't make any sense but justin you make a really good point in so far as the the the, the production of the batteries themselves I mean, that's sort of beyond the scope of course what we generally talk about i guess but but it's a valid point right i mean the issue of mining the lithium how to dispose about dispose of them and so on i think that's a really big question that needs to be solved um that's and, and you know martin talks about the sustainability and and how that starts to come into play my my biggest concern is you know we had the that whatever the the green new deal whatever that was that that was rolled out talking about high-speed rail from an environmental perspective high-speed rail does not demonstrate any benefits as compared to to you know other forms of public transportation specifically airplanes and, and, you know, the fact that that gets into the public lexicon is concerning. You wonder if, you know, how much the, the general public that's not looking at this stuff every day like we are is going to know about the, the, the difference between the actual benefits and those that are just kind of thrown out there as, as, a, as a thought. I mean, there is some benefits, which I guess you could argue about, but like while planes or while you cannot power planes currently with any other like you know fuel that's not combustible and doesn't uh, hurt the environment you can still run trains in which are also in europe run on renewable energy it's maybe a different part that this renewable energy is bought from the market which then is no longer available to to households currently but eventually you would be able to to run trains with fully renewable uh, energy from let's say wind power and solar power if you you can of course then make your argument you could design a, an airplane and use like a, a use other batteries which I think this, this is still way beyond our scope or like some other form of like I don't know um, you know something like I, I think the question more so though is is the fact that you know let's 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 accept uh, you know I can we accept that it that it doesn't exist right now that we can run the trains off of renewable energy. I'm saying that that as information gets set forth, if this information is incorrect, you know, perfect practice makes perfect, non-perfect practice makes, makes you know, crap. So it's a question of if the information is garbage in, you know, are we going to get garbage out? And and I'm just, I worry that with some of the, the more sensitive aspects of this, such as the environmental impact, that the correct information is not always being portrayed in the the everyday lexicon. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, maybe that's also the difference which you're making between the U.S. and uh, and Europe or like parts of the U.S. I mean, it, it's very high investment cost for the U.S. to still build a high speed uh, rail network and with unclear outcome. While as in Europe, there is a very quite a good reliance on trains, and then there it makes more sense. Um, there is train systems which are currently operated fully on renewable energies, depending on how you see nuclear energy. For example, France, I think, is running a lot of lot of their trains on uh, nuclear power, and then uh, and the Netherlands, I think, is also has switched their entire electricity generation to electric for their train system. So there is precedence, but I'm not sure where you would see the critique there. And I'm trying to bring this back here because I think that what you can see there is that it, different solutions are going to work differently, obviously, in, in different places based on all your surrounding environmental, you know, that not environment as we traditionally think about, but just the general landscape of, of people, places and things that are there. 
different solutions are going to work differently in different places. And, you know, when you start to get into to cases where uh, you have to standardize laws across state lines in America um, and, and, you know, I guess not internationally, but but I think there's a lot of a lot of little logistical problems that 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 we don't discuss very often that that are really going to be the largest hindrances to this whole thing moving forward in the future. Love to come to the US and ride the East Coast like with a train. Come visit you in Philly and go to Boston, go to DC, and then on like a train which goes like 400 kilometers per hour. I mean, I would love that, but um, I guess some construction would be needed for that. Incidentally, I did try the train, the Amtrak high speed ish train uh, between Boston and what? I guess New York, uh, DC rather. Um, yeah, look, it was it was kind of fast, but it wasn't. I mean, it was nowhere near anything that we can find. For example, uh, the TGV in France, you know, it's, there's no comparison. Um, yeah. I, I read an argument a few times that like, there just, is, there was never as much of a need or, 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 you know, in any sense of the word need uh, for high-speed rail here in the States. Um, that's a, yeah, I, I, I think we're going to end up leapfrogging the high-speed rail entirely here in the U S and we're just going to go straight to autonomous vehicles, honestly, because just the other tangential aspect of all this is, you know, all the freeway side businesses like hotels and motels, I think we're going to see them just deploying their own hotel motel branded autonomous pod cars as alternatives to actually staying the night somewhere. So I think we're going to see entire new industries pop up around autonomous cars. We're going to leapfrog high-speed rail the way that say certain countries leapfrogged landline telephones, for instance. But is anybody else going to be staying in my mobile motel six, Mark, is my question for you. I mean, people I are staying that. in people's homes, right? Like Airbnb. Right. But no, I'm saying that it, I, I love your, I, I love that idea that, that, you know, the, the companies will, will start to do that and, and use the vehicles as their base of operation. But I'm just wondering, you know, as, as kind of a, a fun thought experiment, is it going to be like an actual hotel on wheels or is it just going to be a place where you and, and one other person can sleep? I think it'd be multiple rooms. Can I play, you know, uh, ding dong dick well, on your door? Am I going to lose all those fun <laughs> aspects from when I was a kid? I mean, presumably all of the above. I mean, I guess you'll have the options to select everything from like a little tiny pod car, which is basically a glorified couch on wheels to something which is essentially the size of a, I don't know, a camper van, I suppose, which could theoretically have one or two rooms. Sure. I, I just, that kind of stuff is the fun parts of it to, to think about. I think, you know, every, everything else we kind of depressingly discussed in the middle there, that, that's the, the really, the, the <laughs> parts. Agreed. Well, guys, I just realized that the time we're at, I know some of you have a hard stop at the top of the hour. So let me just open it up to each one of you, uh, sort of, uh, you know, one after the other individually to kind of close out with any thoughts, obviously, um, you know, so much that we've been able to discuss. And frankly, I hope I spoke, speak for all of us. I look forward to another chance to do this again. Um, but yeah, I'll just open it up to each of you to close out with any final thoughts. Yeah, I just want to say that this is a wildly exciting field and uh, um, it's really fun to work in this field and there's still plenty of stuff to do. And uh, I'm always very excited uh, and I would I wish I could you know, foresee the, the future in a year from now and just see what's possible then and yeah, I've, I enjoy it. It's it's a good time to be in the space and a lot of, of stuff's happening and still a lot of stuff to do. And I, I want to thank everybody for, for having this conversation because I think that the way to forward just the general thought on the topic is to continue to have these conversations. Every time we do, you know, I, I'm 
forced to reevaluate some of the things that that I previously thought, and and I'm provided with thoughts that I've never had before. So uh, I guess my closing thought is just to say thank you to to you guys. Yeah, I'm also very thankful to all of you to like uh, have me and. Uh, my closing thoughts are going to be funny because normally Justin makes that point. But like- well, all, Martin, all of your thoughts are funny. This <laughs> <laughs> um, is going to be about safety. The question is, if you allow a lot companies to have a very, very large market share, which is very likely future autonomous vehicles, right, or what we're seeing practically now, and then you're thinking about an autopilot in a car – being not so different maybe from an autopilot, which you would, I mean, clearly technically, but not so different from what you would think of, let's say, an airplane autopilot, and you look at what happened to Boeing lately, then the question is, what are the implications if you have 20% of your current vehicle fleet of your mobility, which you offer, practically by a few accidents completely taken off the road? What do you do then? And does you know, that mean that you cannot allow this? But like, I mean, that's maybe should be a future discussion point. I, w- I was just going to say, why don't we agree to make this, therefore, one of those wonderful cliffhanger episodes? And w- when I pick up with season four, maybe we'll do that as the uh, season four premiere episode. Um, what do you guys think? I-, I think that's something we could potentially look forward to. Um, but guys, yeah, look, with respect for your time, it, it is the top of the hour, so we should wrap it up. I can't thank you all enough for doing this, the season three finale. Really, it's a huge, uh, you know, I can't thank you all enough. What a, what an awesome privilege and uh, experience. Um, but I think uh, what we can conclusively decide is that the easy solution to the world's problems of autonomous vehicles is we should just start our own international autonomous vehicle consulting firm. Boom, problem solved. Did I just say that out loud? (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, there you have it. Well, guys, look, have a wonderful uh, rest of the day. Obviously, Martin, uh, safe travels, have fun. Congratulations. And uh, to everyone else, uh, we will be in touch. Thank you again so much. Take care. Perfect. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. All right. Well, that's a wrap for today and indeed for this season. Again, a huge thank you to Justin and Martin and Henning for making this episode possible. Really, guys, thanks so much. This has been a, just an incredible way to close out the season. And to everybody listening, thank you so much for continuing to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues and, of course, the ongoing spectacular five-star ratings on on iTunes. I mean, this is the only way this thing continues to grow, and it's, it's how it reached the number one spot on Google. Uh, remember, I don't spend any money at all marketing this thing. So it's entirely thanks to you. So um, what happens next? When will I be back? Um, yeah, so this will be a rather longer break than usual, due in no small part to my desire to really maximize my limited one-month time in D.C. and following that, a family trip to Europe. Um, so realistically, I'd say at the earliest, season four should uh, should air sometime, uh, I'd say the end of July and at the latest, let's say mid-August, but um, you know, just follow me on all social media at Autonomous Hogue and I'll, I'll keep you posted. Of course, if we're not yet connected on LinkedIn, don't be shy. Send me an invite and it'll be my pleasure to connect with you. So anyway, uh, that'll do it then for this season three. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful start to the summer. This is Mark Hogue signing off. Bye-bye. <laughs>